Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27. And I'll be reading this morning from verse 1 to verse 26. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on these stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon. Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
For anybody here that's married, you know what a profound mystery at times it is to communicate. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the people can say amen to this point. Sometimes, you know, you could just, I, I know for me, maybe for my, I have a friend um, that will stare off in the middle distance and just go, I said that in English, and I think I knew what that word meant, but she's not understanding what I said. Communication is a lot harder than we think it is. And one helpful way that Christy and I get on the same page when we're talking about something, but we clearly have very different understandings is what one of us will go, hey, time out, we need to have an expectation check, is what we'll say. I think one of us is saying, I, we're saying a lot of the same words, but we are, we're not on the same page here. So time out, let's have an expectation check. Let's make sure that we're on the same page uh, with whatever we're talking about, with all the things we could be talking about. And for where we're at in Deuteronomy, we are starting the last section, the last sermon of Deuteronomy. And in many ways, this is kind of the expectation check of Moses to the people of Israel. I can even think of another illustration with my boy. We've been talking about telling the truth, obeying right away, never asking why, never with a sigh, I will obey right away. And, and I can, you know, I'll say, you know, Porter, uh, it's important to tell the truth. We should not lie. What is lying? Expectation check. Well, it's when I disappoint daddy. All right, great. You and me mean two different things. And so this is Moses in chapter 27 at the conclusion of all the stuff we've been talking about for years now in Deuteronomy. And he's saying, all right, let's get on the same page of what God is like, what God expects, and what our joyous response should be. He's tying a bow, if you will. So this text has a memorializing ritual in the very beginning with plastered stones that is to occur when they get into the promised land. God then prescribes a theological meaning to two mountains with a practical application of Israel's day-to-day as they live in the promised land. And then the third section includes a corporate confession that represents the communal commitments and ethical burdens of God's people. All right, so those are the three sections as you look through this. Also, a practical, uh, if you don't know the, the book of uh, the, the table of contents in your Bible, there's also, typically, you'll have maps. And this might be one of the sermons you want to look in the back at one of those pretty colored maps um, as we look at uh, the various locations here. So maybe for the next 30 minutes, you can try to find where Mount Ebal and, and Gerizim are at. But... Uh, I have no idea where these places are. Your Bible has it. Another reason why print Bibles are great. So, along with these sections that are including the memorializing ritual, we've got mountains, we've got curses and amens, uh, there seems to be a, a bit of a tone. I don't know if you've picked this up. As you read that, it was somewhat pessimistic, somewhat uh, distrusting of Israel, that the attitude is, is bent towards Israel is disposed to disobedience, to unfaithfulness. And the idea of these curses is one of, this is going to happen because you're going to mess up. But I want to draw something else from this text. I want you to see that even though that's on the nose and very forward, 
I want you to see evidences of God's care and loving kindness to his people in providing through that storm cloud the emphasis of God's grace to protect faithfulness, to foster faithfulness, to empower perseverance. Through, throughout the story of Israel, is, to, to know Israel is to know that they're unfaithful. And that, in, in, in Christian humility, we must admit, that is also our story. We are unfaithful. We don't look down our nose at Israel. We go, that's what I would do in that situation. And yet God in this passage, and though that is true and their disposition is to not be faithful to God, God never abandons his people, never stops giving good gifts. And he gives practical gifts in this passage to enable his people to love him, to remind his people to love him because he loves his people. God's giving an expectation to his people at the close of this wonderful book, to testify to his ongoing faithfulness and to call, which is the same call he's made from the beginning, a call to covenant faithfulness, to fidelity, to the one and only living true God. Forsake everything else. So for this chapter before us, chapter 27, this is what I hope we're going to take away. This is the point. The gospel calls us to exclusive commitment to God which is fostered by an awareness of Christ in our daily lives and a corporate confession of the truth as the people of God. The gospel calls us. It calls us. It is good news, and it has a call on our life that we would be exclusively committed to God, that the blessings of that good news are tied, are tied to the relationship we have with God. You do not enjoy the good life apart from goodness himself, our creator. And how do we foster that in this text? These kind reminders, an awareness, a habit to be, to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. And to also see not only that we should have an awareness But brothers and sisters, the people on your left and right this morning, take a look. These are gifts from God to help you persevere in the faith, to remember the goodness of the gospel, to hold fast to the God that gives you the good life in Christ. So today's sermon is four points, really four exhortations. These are community group leaders these are questions you can ask. These, this is what I'm, I think the text is asking of us this morning. First, commit yourself to God as he has committed himself to you. We see that in the first eight verses with the first exhortation to keep the commandments and then carrying all these stones to a mountain. Don't, please don't carry stones to a mountain. That's not community leaders. I'm not asking you to do that. Just ask about loving Jesus. The, the second one would be, Look to the mount and choose today. Blessing or curses. That's verses 9 through 13. And the last two points are for the third section of this passage. We have to separate them. The first practical point I want to make is to see sin as poison. To see it as poison to both you and your neighbor. And then lastly, to embrace corporate confession as a means of grace. 
And by confession, I I don't mean prayer. I'm not saying a prayer of confession. I'm saying that when we get together and we say Jesus is king and the people of God say, Amen. amen, that's confession. We're confessing the truth. So let's look at point one. Commit yourself to God as he's committed yourself to you. Uh, This covers the first eight verses, and there's a lot of repetition in this chapter, and so I'm going to try to see if we can simplify this. In light of verse one, so what does Moses start this section off with? He has Moses and the elders, and he says, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Keep the whole commandment. So in light of all of God's commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, what's the expectation check? Keep the commandments. What's our response? Keep the commandments. Keep all the commandments. Neglect none of them. Verse 1, keep the whole commandment. Verse 3, you shall write them all. Verse 8, you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. I love that. For me, I'll, I'll, I'll pause you for a second. When I sin, my temptation is to go, well, who knows? Who can be right in these situations? <laughs> who, can, who can know? Who can know? There's, there's, there's a good reason why I did it. And God, and through Moses and his pastoring, says, write it plainly. Write it plainly. The issue is not the degree of clarity that God has given us his commands. Brothers and sisters, it starts here. God has given his law. He's made it clear for us what he would would ask. As we get to the New Testament, what what should we do? Behold Christ, repent of our sins, trust him for all of life. That's the call. That's the call. And so, and in verse 10, you shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God. Keep his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. All this repetition, brothers and sisters, we are to listen to God's word to the people of Israel. And, and we, we see, when, when we listen to God's word to the people of Israel, we see that the law is a perfect reflection to a portion of God's character in a narrowed time and place within the story of God's redemptive history. Let me say that again. So when we look at Deuteronomy and we look at all these Don't move the fence post. Don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. We need to contextualize that. But the principles, the reasons why we can can stand here today in 2023 and preach with authority is because it reflects perfectly the nature and the character of God, granted in a narrow sense to the people of Israel, which was a theocratic ethnic group of, 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 of persons, but it still testifies to the truthfulness of God. And so where there is true truth, to borrow from Francis Schaeffer, we lay hold of that. We say, thank you, God, and we apply it plainly to our lives. We are to obey all that God commands us, both the large and the small, properly prioritized and interpreted in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet none of it is neglected. We're not unhinging the Old Testament from the New Because we view God's law as authoritative and the very inspired words of our creator. So the first expectation check is that we commit to listening and applying God's word in our life. To love God's law is to declare our love for God. 
in a sense, um, when, when we, we don't obey the law to win or be awarded God's law, we love, excuse me, we obey God's law because he first loved us. We're, we're, we're going to get to it later in the passage. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that we can't boast. That's what Ephesians 2 says. But brothers and sisters, our faith, our Christian faith is not alone, all right? Justified by grace through faith, but the new life that God's given us, the rest of Ephesians 2 proclaims, God's prepared for us works. He's prepared for us a way to live in light of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, because of our affections for Jesus Christ. When I said I do to my wife, I'm all hers, and you can see it. I love her, and I do things in view of that love. The same for God. If you love God, your life will be impacted by that affection for God. So it's not dampening, uh, let me use a a young term, we're not dampening the vibe as a church to go to somebody and say, hey, loving the Lord your God looks like this. Because God has written it very plainly in his word. And there is, it's not, it is, there is an aspect where your faith is you and Jesus. But the Great Commission, even in and of itself, is a communal activity. Go and make disciples. Pull people into the community. God has given you persons, gracious gifts, to help you love Jesus more. And one of the ways that, that we are bound together, rather than being chaotic and like the Tower of Babel, where no one understands what anyone's saying because it's all subjective and right and wrong is based off of your touchy-feelies. We have God's word in front of us. We're united together, not because of what Matthew had prayed, political affiliations or our nationality, the language that we speak. What What we're drawn to at this church is the gospel proclaimed by God through his authoritative word given to us. So let's get, to, let's get to these stones. What do we do? I love this part. All right, so, so when Israel gets to the promised land, verse, verses one through eight, what is supposed to happen? I'm gonna try to simplify it for you. First, they're to collect stones, all right? So they get these stones, and then they are to plaster these stones with plaster. Love the detail. We needed that. They are to write the book of Deuteronomy, on these stones. So when they cross over the Jordan, imagine this mass of people crossing the Jordan. They grab these stones, they plaster them, they write on the stones all of Deuteronomy, and then where are they to go? So again, this is where you can look at your map. They are in the middle of Israel crossing the Jordan, and they have to go north into what we we would call Samaria to, to Mount Ebal. That have you ever carried, like, uh, maybe we've seen CrossFitters running with, like, those, like, sandbags through, but, like, can you imagine carrying stones? All of God's law. Hey, don't forget the, don't move your fence post stone over there. Someone left that one. Let's go. We're going to Mount Ebal. So they're carrying these stones all the way to the mount. And when they get there, they're supposed to collect uncut stones. And then not only that, they worship, and they eat, and they drink, and they celebrate, and so imagine the scene. There's, there's this, this altar and God's stones everywhere around the camp, plastered with God's law. Live, laugh, love. 
and they broke bread, and they were merry. You see God's word written. You can imagine the scene. All jokes aside, a lot of the themes that we've seen in Deuteronomy, you can, you can see here. Worshiping the one true living God. Worship in the context of what he prescribes. Listening to what God says first before we worship. Celebration as worship. Living in the blessing of God's fulfilled promises, being in the promised land, so they're, on, they're in the promised land at this point. Being in a relationship with God. That is what an image that is. Let me, what is the image? Expectation check. What is that image? It is the image of God's people committed to God as God himself has first committed himself to them. That's the image of verse 1 through 8. Just imagine the practical religion, the practical spiritual formation of, hey guys, you know, we have to walk a long way. There's all these stones, you know, for the Collins family, we're going to take these five. All right, Porter, why don't you read that as we, as we march to Mount Ebal, feeling the weight of God's law as you walk to the mountain and setting it around. Is there anything particularly re- overly spiritual? Like when they put all the stones around, did they start to glow? It, it, were they closer to God because they were on a mountain? No, it was practical. It was a practical grace of God for them to remember to be faithful to God, to remember how God was faithful to them, that they can hold God's law and practically go, I can just see, I'd want to share this same story with my children. You feel how heavy that is? How heavy God's law is? Son, We need God because I'm not faithful. I'm not strong enough. I'm not able to hold this. And we have to march all the way up this mountain. But when you get there, the sweet news of God's sweet salvation, that that promise, son, as you carry that rock, you're standing on God's fulfilled promise. You're standing on the soil of God's covenant faithfulness before you were even born. This land was promised to a man named Abraham. The kindness of God in giving practical things. Which brings us to a point about ritual. What I find compelling again is the tactile, practical application of persevering in our commitment to God. Those stones, what we're observing in verse 1 through 8, they're rituals. Don't think Halloween rituals and stuff. Rituals are just, if I can simply define it, It's this, a ritual is a habit that we form to give purpose to what matters in life. That's that's what I think a ritual is. It's a habit we form to give purpose to what matters in life. There's nothing magical about plastering stones. There's nothing magical or or right, you, you 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 don't get right standing with God by just carrying rocks up a mountain. You don't get closer with God by being on a mountain. This is a practical means to make make something just like what we're about to do with the Lord's Supper. Is there anything magical about this cup or this bread? No, but it is a tactile, practical way for us to provide 
great meaning to something incredibly ordinary. Why? So that our faint-hearted, prone-to-wander hearts might be called first to see the faithfulness of God and then be moved to faithfulness ourselves. It's not a work. It's not a work. It is in response to God's grace. So what we see in this passage is the kindness of God in creating rituals within the life of God's people to remind them of the covenant that they've made with their God. Rituals function like sandpaper for our sinful inclinations, all right? We, the, the whole chapter is God great the whole chapter is God graciously giving sandpaper, giving rituals. Hey, remember, remember what I've done for you. Be quick to remember me. I, I know your frame, Israel. Here are some things that you can hold to just remember me and remember what I've done for you. God didn't say to do this ritual before you get to the promised land as if he was holding his, his breath to see if they would be faithful enough. He said, when you cross the Jordan, when you've crossed the Jordan, when you have what I've promised you, when you have what I have promised you, be faithful in light of my faithfulness to you. But also note from this text that you cannot enjoy blessing apart from your relationship with God, which brings us to point two. So look at the mount and choose today, blessing or curses. Verse nine through 13. In verse one through eight, Moses gives, hey, keep the commandments. Plaster stones, Mount Ebal, go up. This next section starts very similarly. I don't know if you've noticed that. So it starts with, hey, keep the commandments and then split the tribes up go on two mountains, Gerizim, Ebal, blessings and curses. All right, so did you catch in, let's see, where, where was it at? Where was it at? Yes. Verse nine, keep silent and hear, O Israel. This day you have become. Did you guys see that? Anybody think that was weird? Today you have become the people of God. What is that about? Remember that Deuteronomy is a covenant renewal, all right? So this is the first generation, generation 1.0. Hope this is no surprise to anybody. Generation 1.0, they failed, barred from the promised land. And then generation two, God gives Deuteronomy, the second giving of the commands. And at this point, again, we're at the close of this covenant renewal. And what God, what is happening is a fresh start. That is, that is what that statement is. The covenant's been said. The stipulations are there today. Today, it's as if. It's as if we're starting over. God's grace being new every morning. We see, we see that in light of a large covenant. What's also interesting, when you look at covenants in the ancient Near East, you typically had to have multiple parties. You had to have witnesses, all right? So Moses is kind of the guy that's writing the contract. And did you notice that at the beginning Chapter 27, verse 1, the elders are with, with Moses. There's your witness for that one. And then who, who's with Moses in this proclamation to keep the covenant? Got the Levites. So we see a formalizing of this covenant renewal. Bonafide, real deal. You're good. You're in good standing 
with God. We're reestablishing this covenant. And so similar to the first section, Moses calls Israel to obey, and then he gives a practical ritual, again, another practical ritual for the application to encourage covenant fidelity. And this practical ritual is seen through two mountains. You have Mount Gerizim, which you can think of John 4, that's where it's mentioned. That represents blessing for those who obey the law. And then Mount Ebal representing curses for those who neglect the law, who neglect covenant faithfulness, all right? So this, is, this, this much was said in Deuteronomy chapter 11. So if you want to turn with me, that's Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 26 through 31. This is what Moses says all the way back there, helping us understand a little bit more what we're looking at in our passage. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal, and they are not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, or are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak of Moreh? For if you cross over the Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that your Lord your God is giving you, and when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. All right, so Moses gives us a little bit more of an explanation of, hey, it's not just, you know, uh, here's some tribes go over here, here's some tribes that go over there. This represents covenant faithfulness. This is, again, a, fi- a physical tactile reminder to be faithful, to love the Lord, to neglect idols, to turn away and to turn to God. The key to understanding blessings and curses is to see them as tied to the very relationship Israel has with God, to the proximity and the good standing they have before God, all right? So it's, it's relational. This isn't um, even like the last bit. This isn't like we're actually saying like witchcraft curses. Curse be this person, amen, and then it takes some kind of magical effect. What it's saying and speaking to, it's talking about the reality of relational proximity to God in the covenant, covenant faithfulness and distance. Also, the category of biblical wisdom and foolishness. Flourishing and not flourishing. The wise and the fool. Illustration. When Israel was in good standing, today you are the people of God. And they go to Mount Ebal, verse 1 through 8. They're having a party. They're worshiping. They're flourishing. They're incurring blessing. What is the root of that blessing? Their relationship with God. The land and all that that represents is tied to the relationship they have with their creator. And, and, and so in a secondary sense, not only is it relational, it's, it's also wisdom. These two mountains next to each other are not by chance. And the practicality of this cannot be overstated. Again, let's pretend that I'm living in Israel and I'm walking with Porter. 
these two, these two mountains represented a tangible, whether you were close, walking by them in the valley, or you saw them far off, you saw two mountains. Dad goes, what, what's the name of that? What are, what are the names of those mountains? Well, one's blessing and one's curses. And son, it's important for you to understand that we love God and to obey Him and to love Him is to incur blessings and to not is to incur curses. It's not, son, it's not neutral. It's not neutral for you to just choose. It, it's, it's one or the other. These mountains, may they be a reminder first that we're in the promised land. God, God is good. He's faithful by grace through faith, all of those things. But son, practically listen to my voice. Blessing or curses. A practical ritual to remember God's faithfulness and our call to faithfulness. But here's where the map in the back of your Bible might be helpful. The famous town between these famous mountains is Shechem. Shechem. And there is a particular tree that is important at Shechem, which was referenced in chapter 11, the Oracle of Moreh. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarai and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It was between these two mountains, blessings and curses, where there were altars and celebration, but in the middle was Shechem and this oak where God first made a promise to save a people. And redeem them. And so far from being legalistic, blessings and curses, what is this? It's actually God reminding his people of his promises. And in light of God's grace, he calls them to faithfulness, practical faithfulness. It's a tangible reminder that it is better to be with the Lord than with idols. The rich theology found in the Abrahamic covenant and all this teaches us about God and his redemptive plan in this chapter meets the practical applications of two mountains which offer a visible exhortation 
to faithfulness. Porter, Charlie, blessings and curses in light of God's provision in the middle. As you walk through the valley and you see this oak, man, wasn't this awesome that God promised to save a people and to give us this land? Yes, but with that promise, with that grace, with that relationship, there are, there are calls on us because it is a relationship. Practical and ordinary things carrying deep spiritual significance. You know, God could have put a Levi in a tree every hundred yards in Israel going, keep the law, keep the law. He didn't do that. We would hate that. I would hate that. Actually, I might be amused for a little bit, but I would hate that eventually. He gave us, he didn't say, hey, just hand out, hand out a bunch of uh, tracks about, you know, keep the law. Here's 10 ways to, to keep, although those, those could be very helpful. He gave two mountains, two mountains, a bunch of stones with God's law as a means to foster and encourage your faithfulness to God. So our spirituality, our spiritual formation can look very practical, brothers and sisters. You don't have to recite the Ten Commandments when you're in community group in order for there to be an exhortation to faithfulness to God. It can be as much as even this morning, uh, Josh Sr. was encouraging my soul when we don't desire God to look at nature, to look at creation and be reminded of our Creator. And so do you have ordinary places that you go to, to be reminded of God's faithfulness and of his call to your faithfulness to him. Maybe that's a particular room in your house, completely ordinary, nothing special. It it has many functions throughout the week. If you have young ones, we all know how that feels. But that for you, during a particular time of day, that place is sacred because it reminds you of God's faithfulness. It reminds you of your need before him. Do you have habits in place to be with the people of God, to receive encouragement and exhortations in the gospel? Do you regularly attend church? Is church the only habit and ritual you have regarding your faith? Do you cherish those times? Do you see the importance of those disciplines? Do you see those rituals and disciplines as a means of grace to enable and empower you for the trials that you face in your life. What are the ordinary, practical rituals, methods, and disciplines of your life that lead you closer to Jesus? That, it does not get any more take-home practical than that. Church, we have something far better than the Abrahamic covenant. We have something far better than these two mountains in Israel. When we want to see where God's redemptive promise was to save a people, which for for in Deuteronomy, in that place in the covenants, Shechem was in the top three. That was one of the places you wanted to be. Where do we go? Where do we go to see God's promise? Where do we go to see God's kindness and faithfulness And promise of salvation. Not Mount Gerizim. Not Mount Ebal. But a hill called Calvary. 
Brothers and sisters, there is no plainer place to see the Lord your God than Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the work of Jesus in the cross where God makes a promise, where he took a curse and gave a blessing, where the land promise is fulfilled, Jesus. In Christ, we get relational reconciliation and thus blessing. Remember, blessings and curses are relational And to receive covenant blessings in Jesus, a restored relationship with God, that's the win. And for those that are here today and don't know Jesus Christ, we stand between two mountains all the same of blessings and curses. And I would encourage you the same as my fictitious story with Porter. There's no middle ground. The gospel calls you to turn from your sins and to place faith in Jesus twisting your arm, your life's not going to get worse in a spiritual sense, you will incur blessings. But for you to deny the blessedness of Jesus Christ is to incur a curse. And that is what every, every regenerate believer in this room incurred or stood under before Jesus. There, we're, this baptismal represents that. What Emmanuel did this morning represents that. I was under a curse of sin. But by the grace of God through Jesus Christ who died and took my place, I now have blessing, blessings I don't deserve. He took a curse for me so that I could be restored to God. And that offer is free, requires no works, doesn't matter who your mom and dad are, where you come from, how much you make, what country you come from. What matters is that you behold God for who he is in Jesus. And today is the day. Not tomorrow. This isn't something to think about. The response calls today. Today's all we have. And for all of us, Christian or not, how arrogant to think that we somehow own tomorrow. All we have for faith in Christ today is today. And so Moses says in verse 26, he says, Cursed be anyone who does not affirm the words of this law. And this verse is quoted in Galatians 3, where Paul writes this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So if you choose the law, you will eventually end in curse. No one's perfect. There's only one that was faithful who lived under and became the curse so that we might have a blessing. Christ, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
What a text. Brothers and sisters, blessings and curses, justice and mercy, God's steadfast love and his faithfulness are proclaimed in the new covenant in Jesus Christ by his blood. The greatest application for us this morning, Kingsway, of practical rituals, disciplines, and methods is for you to gaze For you to gaze upon Jesus for what he has done for you, a sinner. The greatest sandpaper to worldliness is for you to contemplate the cross. The greatest sandpaper against self-sufficiency and pride is the message of the cross. Make space and intentionally set aside time and places where you can practically ponder upon the promises of God and his mighty works in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to point three. Why would we, why would, why would I set up practical disciplines? Point three, because sin is poison to you and your community. It is sin to you and your neighbor. These last 10 verses are curses upon persons who commit particular sins that mirror aspects of the Ten Commandments. You guys have probably already picked that up. And it's followed up what what is notable and different than other places we've read in Deuteronomy. First is the curse, but then the last part, the amen. Like all the stuff in the middle, we got that. Yep, don't make make idols. I, I learned that pretty early in the Deuteronomy series. I think that was last July. Got that one down. I would never lead a blind man down a wrong road. Some of these where it's like, instead of amen, it's like, dude, that's, that's rough. But cursing, but curses and amens, what do we do with those two things? And that's what I want to draw away. Blessings and curses speak to relational realities, but it also speaks to wisdom. Biblical wisdom comes from our theology, but as Proverbs puts it, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have the good life and we have foolishness. If you read the book of Proverbs, you know that the fool usually trips down the stairs and the the wise person does not. So there's a practical benefit to the blessings of a relationship with God. And what Moses is highlighting and these sins that result in curses is that sin is corrosive foolishness. That is what sin is. When we sin, it is corrosive foolishness. It's corrosive to the individual, and it's corrosive to the community. Proverbs talks about not having, you know, bad friends. Pick your friends wisely. Why? Because sin is more, just like your relationship is not just a you and Jesus thing, your sin is not just a you and you thing. Your sin affects people. It's like bad breath. We pick it up. It's like not wearing deodorant. It It's more than just your problem. It's our problem. When we sin, it impacts others. When I steal money, I have hurt someone else to the benefit of myself and to my shame before God. It's not a good thing for your relationship with God, for you personally, or or your community. When you sin, it gives fruits of death, rewards of death, whereas your sanctified holy actions give what Paul would say in the letter to the Corinthians, an aroma of life, 
You represent God well. You're an ambassador of Christ, giving the aroma of life. So your sin gives off an aroma of death. Romans 6.23. We use this all the time in evangelism. This is what Paul says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, we use that in evangelism. I totally think we should. It's a great verse to memorize and commit to memory and to talk about. To, to, when, when, hey, why, why is Jesus, why, is, why are you talking to me about Jesus? Well, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Where Paul's at in Romans, he's already covered salvation. The first couple chapters, he's talking about salvation. And the next chapters, chapter 6 included in this, he's talking about the Christian life, the life. How do we live by faith in our life? And it's in this section that he says, for the wages of sin is death. I think this is very much true about evangelism, is very much a true statement about our life. When we sin, we ought to be thinking, this is going to reap a reward of death. Who thinks like that when they sin? I think it's life-giving when I sin. Maybe not for you. When I choose to do something, I'm justified. I'm right in doing it, and it makes my life better. Paul and Romans would say otherwise. When you sin, you reap death. Small, maybe not, it, nobody but you knows, but you reap death. Your conscience twirls within your heart like a, like a weed whacker. <laughs> just wrecking you. That, there's all kinds of ways that we could talk about this. But what Moses is doing is encouraging the people pastorally. Hey, don't let sin be a master in your midst because it hurts people. It hurts you. It's not theoretical. It's actual. And it's communal. Which brings us to the fourth point ending on a high note of this. So we've talked about the idea of a curse. Why are they cursed? Because of a relational distance, because of biblical foolishness. But we also see the amens at the end of this. I, I, I love this. It is the other side of sin hurting is that corporate confession of the truth is a means of grace. Just as much as carrying those rocks were, just as much as looking at those two mountains were, God gave you a community as a practical method and ritual to preserve you, to encourage you, to uplift you, to remind your faint heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is good that we affirm what is true and beautiful as the people of God. It's protective encouraging, preserving, unifying, and it's fostering the community that God has given us. Where sin hurts, God's grace and community upholds and protects. Our hearts are inclined to sin. The brothers and sisters, the kindness of our Heavenly Father to give us, not Levites and trees, but to give us tangible things that our weak hands can hold to remind us of God's goodness. That's what he's doing in this last section. God wants you to benefit from his people. And as a church, we care about what is said 
And we make sure to say and recite what is true often because this is a means, dare I say a ritual, that God has given his people to remind us of his goodness and of an invitation, an invitation to remain faithful that God is better, Christian. He's better. Whatever you've been tempted with, this isn't some beat people over with with a baseball bat, get in line. This is a means of God's care, a reminder, an invitation to say God is better. He is better. Church, when we gather here and we sing songs, when we read scripture, when we pray for those in our midst, when we pray for churches afar, when we sit under the preaching of God's word, we, when we minister the gospel in its various facets and in, in ministries here at Kingsway Community Church, we are saying amen to the things of God. When we say amen to the things of God, we are testifying to the watching world, to your faint brother and sister sitting right next to you, to, to those that are struggling today, who are tempted to fall away, the excellencies of the gospel. It is so practical. So Bruce and the band, if you guys want to come on up, as we pack up and we move on with our inevitably busy days, what practical rituals do you have to treasure the risen Christ? Maybe the expectation check for us as we come to a close What do the habits of your life say about your affections for Jesus? Do you figuratively have plastered stones, mountains, and community that is helping you love Jesus better, that is encouraging you, exhorting you, discipling you, holding you up, speaking God's truth to you? Are you, are you thinking in those those contexts? Are you inviting people over to your home that might be faint-hearted? Be a stone. Be a mountain. Be an amen to someone in your midst. The gospel calls us to an exclusive commitment to God, which is fostered by an awareness of Christ in our daily lives and the church's corporate confession. Blessed be the Christian who loves the Lord, remembers him often, and lives in community. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.